Welcome to Evan Christian Voices. I'm Tom Logrey, and this is Between the Times, a broadcast series dedicated to presenting an Advent Christian assessment of ethics, politics, and culture today. Um, today, what I wanted to talk about is the ways in which the tradition of the American prohibition spirit continues to live on today in America. And I got thinking about this because of Netflix. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are out there are Netflix junkies, but um, I watch Netflix, but usually I'm not watching your typical movies just for entertainment. I'm kind of a nerd. I enjoy watching documentaries, Ken Burns documentaries. Uh, so I was recently watching, I haven't finished it yet, but I've been watching a documentary um, called Prohibition. It's a film by Ken Burns and Lynn Novick. And it was interesting because I've never, um, I've, I've never really taken a close look at the prohibition. It's always just been kind of something that's been casually mentioned uh, in the history books, you know, when I was growing up, going through school. Um, but as I was watching the first episode of this series, something really stood out to me. And this first, the first part was really set in the night in the 19th century, the 1800s. And it was talking about how much the prohibition was really driven by this sort of um, millennialist, post-millennialist kind of fervor um, with a really deep religious zeal um, that if they could remove and it was the movement was mostly driven by women if they could remove alcohol from society it would solve all their problems um there was a lot of discussion about how for a long time drinking alcohol in america had just been a common tradition but then with kind of the advance in stilling technologies uh, you got harder liquors and it just became a really rampant problem in america the alcoholism and the abuse and just everything that came with that. And so a huge group of women, I mean, there was men involved in the group as well, a lot of ministers, but especially women kind of came to the fore and said, if we can get rid of alcohol in America, we can become the society that we're basically destined to be. Um, it was It was almost this idea that the limits of the American citizen are limitless. In fact, it's just this one thing that's holding us back is this alcohol. And so this huge amount of um, force and attention was put upon this issue of removing alcohol as if removing this one thing would cure all of America's problems. And it's interesting because as the documentary goes along and as I'm sure most of you are popularly acquainted uh, with is that prohibition ended up being a dismal, a visible failure um, because it just introduced a black market. Gangs rose up. Lots of people just made alcohol at homes and found illicit ways to get it. And it was unsuccessful. It didn't, even though they were able to pass a constitutional amendment, getting it prohibition into the constitution it didn't deliver on giving them the perfect society that they had hoped for. And that got me thinking about how I really think that 
that spirit of prohibition, this idea that if we can just get this one thing solved in our society, everything will be set right. And I think it's different things at different at different times. Uh, I think in our society right now, there's a lot of discussion about guns. And if we could just get rid of guns, that would solve all, all of our problems. And um, I know probably many of you don't think that, even though there might be some common sense solutions, but you know, um, the idea that just getting rid of guns might solve all, all of our problems. But maybe even from more of a typical conservative perspective, maybe if we can just get rid of uh, abortion in this country or some other some other issue, maybe same-sex marriage, if that suddenly became illegal, um, maybe that would fix all of our problems, despite the fact that uh, that we were having problems with marriage well before same-sex marriage was legalized. There's just this tendency in American society to think that if we can just remove this one thing, um, all of our problems will be fixed. And we see this on the secularist side too. Many of you are familiar with the John Lennon song, uh, Imagine, and he writes in it, imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. And obviously that's kind of a very anti-Christian message as though if we can just get rid of you know, all these religious folks, then the society, then you basically have this sort of utopia. Um, and so we can be really critical of that sort of perspective, kind of a liberal perspective that it, well, if we could just get rid of these conservatives, get rid of these Christians, um, everything would be said. All right. But the truth is, is I think because we're all Americans, I think American Christians are just as susceptible to thinking that, um, if we can just fix this one societal issue, everything's going to be great. It's going to, it'll, it'll be like we're living in the kingdom today. Um, and I really think that sort of notion, notion is really sort of blasphemous. This idea that if we can just fix this one thing, then everything will be perfect. Everything will be ideal. Because um, the idea that if we just fix that one thing is absent of the fact that, well, God's not here yet. God's not all in all yet. There's not the new heavens and new earth. And we recognize as Advent Christians that everything's not going to be fixed. Not everything's going to be right until the dwelling place of God is with man. And it's interesting because when you look at our Advent Christian history, you had a lot of people that were involved with the Second Advent movement who were social justice warriors in, a, in the most positive sense. I mean, you have uh, J.V. Himes, you know, Miller's uh, press man, basically, uh, who was an avid abolitionist, a great thing. And yet he, he got involved in the Second Advent movement, and that really dominated um, – his focus. And then also I was just in the Adventure Library today and I was looking in uh, the world's crisis uh, from during the year 1896. And I was noticing through the various issues on the last page, there was always a section um, to, to talk about, uh, you know, this kind of this discussion about 
prohibition, fighting against alcohol, anti being anti-saloon, that kind of stuff. So we have this tradition, and yet it's always kind of standing in tension with the Advent Christian hope of the return of Christ, that ultimate hope. And if you look on our Facebook page, you'll see pinned at the top a quote by A.C. Johnson. It's probably my most favorite Advent Christian quote. And uh, A.C. John, I'll read it to you here, and you can look on the page. A.C. Johnson writes, What is true waiting for Christ? Does it rightly suggest the cessation or restraint of activity in Christian service, that we should make no plans for future labor in the field? Is it an idle looking, watching, or waiting? Far from this, when the church has most fervently looked for the Lord's return, she has been most diligent in the work of the vineyard. The scripture nowhere sanctions an idle watching or waiting for his coming. The waiting rather means that we have a great hope whose fruition will not come to pass in this age. A splendid idea that can real, be realized only after and by means of Christ's second advent. Therefore, we set our hearts and hopes on that advent as the goal of promise, of joy and light. It means that we do not place our hope on what man can do for mankind or on what the church, civilization, or social service can do for the world, but only upon what Christ can and will do for the race by and following his second coming. Success to every worthy effort for world betterment, but above and beyond all this, we wait for the day of Christ, the day of redemption, of resurrection, and restoration. And I really love this quote by Johnson because while he fixes his hope on the second coming of Christ. He isn't poo-poo, you know, trying to make things better in this world. In fact, he says, you know, as we're waiting for the return of Christ, we should be most active. We should be engaged with representing the kingdom of God um, as Christ approaches. And yet, he still maintains that however much good we might do, however much better we might make things by our efforts, we cannot bring the perfection that we seek. We cannot bring the renewal that we desire absent of Christ. We are awaiting people. We need Christ to return. We need God to be all in all. We need God's dwelling place to be with mankind. And and so I think this serves as a good reminder for us especially for those of us who are American Christians. It's a reminder that we cannot introduce the kingdom of God by an act of Congress. No amount of moral reform will establish the throne of God on earth. We, ha- we await the appearance of our king, and there will be no kingdom without the king. But even so, we must work while we wait living each day that we are given with purpose, preparing the way for this coming kingdom, fixing our gaze on Christ, even as we live here between the times.